the streaming. Shalom Aleichem Rabotai. Today's daf is Ketuvot, Lamed Zion. The sponsors today, we have a Talmud Torah sponsorship by Paul and Kathy Pollock in honor of their grandchildren, Tikva, Esther, Simcha, Avigoyel, Milona, and Milicenta. May they grow to become the best version of themselves. We have a daf Yomi Shir sponsorship. Zechut Rufua Shleima for Yehuda Ben Michal, the son of myself. And I, I really, I really want to thank you. Uh, you've been uh, amazing, and I really hope I give you all a bracha that none of you should have to know what great Balei Chasodim this community is. People come out of nowhere to give tremendous amounts of chesed, tremendous amounts of their time and energy to, to a family in need. I hope you never need to know how great this community really is. And one more week of learning sponsorship by Gail and Doug Sanger, Mazel Tov to Akiba Leif Weinberg, and his bar mitzvah from Bavi and Saba. Shkoyach. Thank you, Moshe. We are picking up on Lamed Vav Ahmed Base, and I spoke to Rabbi Richter yesterday, and he said that the last bit he was going a little too fast, so he asked me to go back to the Gemara. This Mishnah that we just had yesterday, we started yesterday, remember that a few days back we had the girls who get a kanas. Remember, if a betula or a besula uh, is violated, there is a kanas, a penalty fine of 50 shekel. And as Rabbi Silber said, last, uh, it's been a little while, over a week ago, um, that's on top of the other damages. This is sort of the exception that proves the rule. We've talked about a concept of kim lei bidaraba minei. We give the guy the worst punishment. If he's high of money and death, we're going to kill the guy, but he's not going to pay the money. But ma'anis, violating a betula, that's an exception that proves the rule, because not only does he pay the 50 shekel, but he also pays for any injuries, any medical bills, the any depreciation, any embarrassment, the shame, the actual net, violate, you know, the actual damages from the assault. So he's on the hook for all of the damages. So don't just think the Torah is like, oh, if a guy is ma'anis, a non-basula, there's no penalty. No, there is a penalty, but that's a bavakama issue. We're only dealing with the ksuvos issue here. So we're only talking about the chamishim shekel, the 50 shekel knas, but bavakama, when we talk about damages for personal injury, there's a whole bunch more damages he's on the hook for. It's kind of an exception. So going back to the Gemara, so that was that Mishnah. So the Mishnah here was talking about the exceptions, the ones who don't get a Knas, even though there might have been a reason that they should if they were subject to being Ma'anis, lo Elenu, and lo on our daughters too. So the Gemara said, Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Dosa, Amr Davar Echad. We're calling the Mishnah yesterday, Rabbi Yehuda said, we don't assume that a woman who was captured by pagan bandits got violated. Now that's a Kiddush because for the past uh, three or four weeks, we've been assuming they were. And all the other Tanayim seem to hold that, yeah, you can kind of assume Nebuch, it's a terrible thing, that when a Jewish woman was captured by these pagan uh, criminals, that they would usually take advantage of her. Now we did see an exception a couple weeks ago, if they are intending to ransom her back to her family or to, you know, seller to Jews would be po there to do pity on Shavuyim. Maybe they wouldn't because they'd get more money for her if they don't violate her. So there are some mitigating factors where maybe a woman in captivity with the pagans would not be violated, thank God. But in general, yeah, they, they had no boundaries. They were already, you know, they're, they're terrible people. You don't want to be near them. No good. So we could assume that they were. But Rabbi Yehuda says, no, we don't assume that she was violated. Rabbi Yochanan here is saying, that sounds like Rabbi Dosa. 
uh, Rabbi Huda Hada Amran, like the Mishnah said, Rabbi Huda says, we don't assume she was a violator. Rabbi Doe said to Tanya, the Bryce says, Shavuya Ochelis Batruma, a captured woman who comes back and she's a Bosco in her life of Cohen, she could still eat Truma. We assume she wasn't violated by a non Jew, which would make her now puzzle to eat the Truma, as we learned in Yavamis. What did this Arab do to her? Tosfa says, we, we say Arab because in Pirkei Avos we learned that they got a lot of the znus that came to the world. They, they, they got it. They're blessed with that. Just because he was, you know, fondling her. You know, he was, he was abusing her. He was molesting her, but not with, you know, not with a full bia. Uh, no, no, it doesn't make her possible. Kuna, yeah, we could assume that maybe the captors would take liberties, but if they were intending to ransom the girls, as, as it was commonly happened, maybe they wouldn't go all the way with those liberties. So Rebidos is Mako, for her to even eat truma. Amaraba Dilmalahi. Maybe Rebidos is not the same as Rebihuda and Mishnah. Adkan Lokam Rebihuda, Hacha Elishaloye, Chote Niskar. Maybe Rebihuda is saying that. We don't want the chote de We don't want a sinner to benefit. The sinner we're talking about is the me'anis, a man who is violating the Jewish man. Now is violating the Jewish besula. Now he's and now if he violates her and then says, "Oh yeah, but she had been captured for six months with the pagans, so there's no knas." Ha ha! I'm getting away with the knas. Yeah. So we don't. Rabbi Huda doesn't want him to get away with that. So he would assume that she was still tahira legabe that knas. And the Torah says here points out that. The Tozos Ve'elu, he says, Afol gav He says, really, Deraisa, we, we assume a girl, you know, tries to avoid, we're going to see, she tries to avoid getting abused by her captors. This is a chashash de Rabbanan. says, they made her as if she was Be'ula because she was captured by the pagans. It's not necessarily true. So Rabbi Yehuda sort of relies on this chazaka Deraisa that Jewish girls don't, do that kind of thing, and even in captivity, try to avoid that kind of thing. You know, you understand, like they make themselves depressed and ugly and dirty, and they try to try to stay away from these things. So he would rely on that. So to say that the man who's ma'anis, a Jewish basula who had previously been in captivity, he still pays the fine. Avol chasam, but there by truma kirabonansvile, he would hold like the rabbanan, not like Rabbi Dosa. Inami, and she doesn't eat, get to the truma if she was in captivity. Wouldn't rely on the chazaka so far. Inami adkan lo kamar bidosa chasam eli betruma de rabbanan. We could say that Rabbi Dosa is only Mako by Truma de Rabbonin. And we had previously Truma Bismana Zay, when we don't have majority of Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. It's only de Rabbonin. And even, even when we do have Truma de Raisa, in the Truma from Chutzlar, it's Truma from Syria, and certain kinds of, of produce are still de Rabbonin. So maybe he says only that's the stuff she's eating of all knas, but the knas of 50 shekel for Ba'anis, that's de Raisa. The Taira gives that, imposes that fine. Kirabonin Sfirle, maybe he holds like the rabbis and not like Rabbi Yehuda. So it's maybe not the same shita. Amr Le'abaye, but time with Rabbi Yehuda, hacha, shloye niskar. Is it true that Rabbi Yehuda says, I don't want the sinner, the Ma'anis, the violator, to profit in the sense that he doesn't pay the 50 shekel fine, therefore he'll rely on his shita. She wasn't violated. But there's a brisa that says, not like this. A captured girl uh, who was captured. We assume she's still in her chazaka of not having been violated by these pagans. Even if she's 10 years old, apparently the pagans had a thing for 10 year olds. Because if also time, she gets a kasuva of $200. 200 zoos, actually, that's quite a lot more than dollars, Baruch Hashem. There's no chote niskar, because there's no, there's no chet here. She's just getting married, and we're writing up her ksuva. There's no actual ma'anis here. And we still say that Rabbi Yehuda treats her like a virgin, like a betula. She gets the 200. 
So there too, Rabbi Yehuda is giving her a ksuva of 200, not because for sure, for sure, she must be a virgin, even though she was captured for six months by the pagans. It's because if if you say, well, yeah, she was captured by the pagans, they might have done something, so her ksuva is only 100, 100 zoos, then the suitors, the men who might be in Shaduchim with her, say, well, you know, she has this checkered history, I'm not so interested, maybe they'll, they'll be hesitant to marry her, she'll sort of stand out from other Jewish girls because even though maybe she's a basula, but she's going to have this personal history that's uh, going to be like a red flag for the men who might otherwise marry her. And we don't want, according to Behuda, we don't want Jewish girls to like to be so different to put them at a disadvantage, like other Jewish girls. Rabbi what day is it? Tubaav. Wow. Rabbi do you know how much? Do you know how much the Rebbeinu Shalom loves us? And, and by us, I mean every Jew in the world, every Yid in the world, Rebbeinu Shalom loves, but especially the Yidin and the Daf Yaimi. Rebbeinu Shalom loves them, especially. Tuba Av is the holiday of, of Shaduchim. Now, there are many reasons. So the Gemara brings in Tainus. This is a little, a little Chazara. Tainus is, uh, is, there's a lot of sad things in Tainus, a lot of fasts, a lot of problems. But they bring at the end... Um, they also do this on Yom Kippur, which is amazing. The daughters of Yerushalayim, they went out wearing white dresses, she'ulin, borrowed. Why? Everyone's borrowing their dresses so they don't look so different. They're all wearing the same kind of dresses. They're borrowed, which has advantages for both sides. If, you're not, if a girl's not wearing her own dress, chances are it doesn't fit so well and it's not, you know, super tight. So it's probably a little loose and that's also good for tznias. But someone who doesn't have a very expensive dress, you know, a, girl, a rich girl has a very expensive dress, but she's borrowing from a girl who's maybe not so rich. Maybe a girl who's not so rich is borrowing a, a very nice, high quality dress. So they're not, they don't want to be mavayish each other. So this is, you understand the sensitivity of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, just because a girl was captured by pagans, we don't want it to stand out when she's in Shaduchim. We don't want her to be embarrassed. You know, we don't add insult to injury. You know, she had this traumatic event in her past, and now she's trying to get married and settle down and get, get over that and move on with her life. We don't want her to stand out to the men who'd be interested in Shaduchim. That's, that's Tuba'av. That's this minhag, this beautiful minhag. Now, don't try this at home today, Rabbi but this beautiful minhag in the past where the Jewish girls would go out to dance in the vineyards, in the fields, and the men would come out, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. We're, we're going to see. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. They were wearing borrowed dresses so they wouldn't stand out, so they would all be on the same level. Tuba'av, Rebbe Yehudi, see the amazing sensitivity to a woman who's been through a crisis in her life and is now trying to move on and, and come through and move on to the other side and get married and settle down. How sensitive Rebbe Yehuda is. It, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And that's, that's a lesson of Tuba'av. It's, Truly inspiring for all of us to be more uh, more sensitive. Good. Savar Rabbi Yehuda, because Rabbi Yehuda really hold that she's really mamish, still a batula, even though she was captured by pagans. Atanya, Brother Isa says, a poda someone who redeems a captive, a humongous mitzvah. We learned, remember, in Sukkot, the men who are traveling to redeem captives, they're putter from Sukkah even, because they're doing a tremendous mitzvah. So Yisaina, he buys a captive from the pagans. He redeems her, he frees her, he can then marry her. Made Bob, but if he testifies about her that she wasn't violated, he can't marry her. Rabbi Huda says, No, he can't marry her in any event. So when we just says, This would include even a Kohen. So it sounds like Rabbi Huda says a Kohen can't marry a woman he testifies about or purchases, you know, frees from these pagan captors. 
This teaching itself is a kasha. You say, if we redeem a captive girl, he could marry her. But if you testify that she's still, she was unviolated, you can't marry her? Because just because he testifies her, he can't go and marry her? No, it's not a kasha. This is what Baraita really means. He's both redeeming her with his own money, and he's testifying that she was pure and not violated. He could marry her. He's merely testifying that he thinks she was not violated. He can't. It's still a kasha. What's the difference? It's still a kasha Yehuda, who said in our Mishnah, that we assume she was not violated. Here it sounds like we assume she was violated. Let's amend the Baraita, not to say lo yisaina, but yisaina. Rabbi Yehuda says he could marry her, even a Kohen could marry her. He says, no, you don't have to amend the Baraita. We can explain it like this. Rabbi Yehuda is telling the Rabbanan according to you guys. We see this all over Shas, that one Tana can make a teaching. It sounds not like him. It's really, it is him talking to the rabbis in their own opinion. He says, according, he says, Gar speaks out, to me, Rabbi Yehuda, in any event, a Kohen could marry her. I don't assume she was violated. But for you guys who assume she was violated, you should say in any event, he can't marry her. It doesn't matter if he's meyid or he's pode. Uh, That's what you should have taught. Why? So why do they say only when he's pode her? Only when he spends his own money to get this girl out of captivity and rescue her, then he could marry her. Why? A man doesn't throw away his money for nothing. Now, this sounds very transactional, but what he really means is if there's a single man and he's looking to get married and the pagans show up with a bunch of beautiful Jewish girls and he's like, well, I got a thousand dollars. He's got a beautiful woman. It's not really like that. It's he's going to look into it. He's going to talk to her. He's going to talk to the people around. He's going to make sure if he's a Cohen, he's going to make sure nothing had happened to this woman because he doesn't want to put all his money and resources on the line and pull there this girl and then find out Nebuch, he's a Kohen and he can't marry her because Nebuch, she had in fact been violated. So he's really going to investigate. We had this concept also by the woman whose husband went overseas. She's Daika, Yivamis, Yivamis wasn't, this, this was like three months, two months ago, Rabosai. Daika Uminsava, she looks into it because her personal marriage is on the line. If she gets remarried, Daika Uminsava, the woman who looks into it very carefully, if one aide comes and says her husband really truly died. Here too, the man who's spending a bunch of money to rescue a captured Jewish girl and he also wants to marry her and he's a Cohen, he's going to look into it very carefully and find some Adim and make sure she was uh, not violated. So, but if he's made Bokadiv, he's merely testifying, maybe he just, you know, is attracted to her. He's a Cohen and these, these gangsters, these uh, pagans rolled into town some Jewish girls. He sees one that's very beautiful. He says, oh, I'll testify that she was not violated and then I'll marry her. But he doesn't really know the Misa. He's just, you know, he's just attracted. It's Tuba for both sides. So, okay, we understand. He's, he's with the times. Rami Lerav Papa Bar Shmuel, Lerav Yosef, on the top of Lamed Zayin Amadalev, Asavar Yehuda, because Kaima. Does Rabbi Huda really hold that a, a Jewish girl captured by pagans is still not violated, still a virgin? Tanya, but the Bryce says, shenit gaira, a convert that converted. Now, this is really cute, Rabotai. We don't say the akum that converted. We don't say the nochri that converted. We say the convert that converted. This is a bit of a remez 
to those like those really cool stories that that every convert that joins the Jewish people, in a sense, they were destined to be the Jewish people. In a sense, maybe the part of their neshama, their soul, was by Harsidia, was by by Nasev and Nishma already. They have some shaykhs already. They're just waiting for the goof to catch up to the soul. Sometimes our soul is like light years ahead of our body and our actual life, and then we got to catch up. So they were always destined to join the Jewish people. They're Giorch and the Gaira, Viratadam. And then she sees blood. Now, quick review, way back to Nida. The first Mishnah in Nida, we said if a woman sees blood and she had been dealing with Taharas, she had been like making truma sandwiches for her Kohen, you know, she's married to Kohen, she's making truma sandwiches for his lunch, and then she sees Dom. The issue is if the Dom, the blood, leaves the uterus, it doesn't necessarily come out right away. It might come out after an hour or two, but at most 24 hours. So if she hadn't been checking herself to make sure there's no Dom in there that's at already out of the uterus, she might have had this blood separate from her uterus already 24 hours ago, meaning she was Tamea already 24 hours ago, and all the truma, peanut butter, and jelly sandwiches she made for the last 24 hours for the whole family, those are all considered Tamea as a rabbinical stringency. Said is nodding because he's always very careful when he makes his truma sandwiches. Very good. So she converted, and then she saw doms. The issue is maybe this dom was already out of her uterus, you know, before she converted and went to the mikvah. So maybe she was already tamea, and if she made the truma sandwich, she got a problem. Rabbi Yehuda Omer Dayashaita. Rabbi Yehuda says it's enough from the moment she sees dom. We don't have retroactive tuma. There's no lima freya tuma in this case. Rabbi Yosi Omer Harehi Kechol Anashim. No, she's like a regular Jewish woman. Umetama Meit Laet Makida Lakida. So she's tamea. Going back Laet Laet means. 24 hours ago, that's the earliest time that the dam she's seeing now could have been out of the uterus and in the prostor, or from the last bedika she did, their minag was, we learned in the beginning of Sota, they would do a bedika before they would start making their truma sandwiches or handling their kochim. Uh, good. Uh, oh, and another halacha related to this, and she has to wait the three months. The famous, the chodshe of chana of Yavama's fame, remember that we don't allow a yibum within three months of the death of the brother. And because chalitza is compared to yibum, the same thing, we do a chalitza on day 91 after, well, we shouldn't have to do chalitza revosai, but if someone is doing a chalitza, tell them to wait 91 days until after the death to do their chalitza. Chod the three months of separating. What are we separating? Guys, second husband, whose baby is it? So whose baby is, we, we don't have those like, you know, talk shows in Jewish, Jewish tradition, we're like, oh, it's who's his baby, his baby, who knows who the father is? No, we know who the father is because of the halacha of chod she that we make the woman wait three months. Even Rav Moshe is a tshuva. There was a couple that was sever, separated 17 years, Nebuch. She finally got her get. He said, you still have to wait three months after she gets her get before she remarries. They don't even separated 17 years, Rav Moshe says, because there's no exceptions to the chod she We have to know who the real father is. We, we, we care about fathers in Judaism. We care about mothers, but we know who the mother is because, you know, the mother is the mother. You know, she gives birth. But the father, we have to know who it is in halacha, for Yerusha, for Gahuna, for all of these dinim. So he says, so, even after she converts, she converts, she has to wait three months before she gets married. Rabbi Yossi allows her to get married immediately. So it sounds like Rabbi Yehuda is saying a giorit who converts were concerned she was being intimate with men 
prior to conversion, within the three months prior to conversion, she might have gotten pregnant, you know, a little while before she converted. Then she converts and she marries a Jewish guy. We had cases in Yavamas of a woman who converts in order to marry a Jewish guy. And that, that didn't look so great. And uh, there was a discussion there about it. But uh, if that happens, she marries a Jewish guy and then she has a baby seven months later. Well, is the Jewish guy really the father or someone who was not Jewish that she was with prior to conversion? We, got, we have to know. Amrlai, so the, the Gemara says, You're comparing Rabbi Yehuda's opinion by the Giorat that she has to wait three months before marrying the Jewish guy and the Shvuya, the captured Jewish girl. It's very different. Giorat lomenatra nafsheh. A woman who's, she's becoming Jewish. She's taking classes. She's planning to become Jewish. But say right now she's living amongst idolaters. She grew up in a pagan society where really anything goes. And it's her, you know, you understand, it's her last three months as a pagan. She might go to Vegas and live it up a little bit before she becomes Jewish. You understand? So, you know, Hamevin Yavin, you know what I'm saying? So maybe she did get pregnant just prior to a conversion. And so we need to know who the father was. He's going to make her wait three months. But a Shavuya, Menatra Nafsha, a Shavuya, she's a Jewish girl. She grew up in Beis Yaakov. You know, Laman Hashem, she's not going to be living it up with the pagans while she's in captivity. She's going to be trying to make herself appear ugly and unattractive to them so they don't abuse her. So it's very different. Rami Shavuya, Shavuya. So let's compare the case of a Shavuya onto a Shavuya to clarify what Rabbi Yehuda really holds. The Tanya, the Bryce says, a Giorit veha Shavuya veshivcha, a convert and a captured girl and a maidservant, Shiniftu, that's redeemed. Now, redeemed is the first verb here, but it goes on the Shavuya, because Pidion Shavuyim is a tremendously huge mitzvah. Nitgairu, or she converts. She is freed. And she's over three years old. Before she gets married. So Yehuda makes a Shvuya who's redeemed wait three months before getting married because he's concerned maybe she got pregnant in captivity. So you see, oh, Rabbi Yehuda does not assume she was not violated. He assumes maybe she was violated. So that sounds very inconsistent with our Mishnah. Rabbi Yossi allows her to do Erusin and Kedushin immediately without waiting. Ishtik. So he says, oh, wow. So sometimes silence is the best answer. But then he says, You hear anything about this? It's like, tell me, what's the halacha? I don't know the halacha. Do you know the halacha? How do we reconcile Rabbi Yehuda with our Mishnah, with Rabbi Yehuda and this Baraisa? In this case, we saw her that she was Nivelis, or we saw her, you know, go behind closed doors with the pagan captors in a suspicious manner. So if we saw this girl who was captured really be alone with her captors, with the pagans, why does Rabbi Yossi allow her to get married once immediately once she's redeemed? A woman who's involved in illicit relations uses birth control. Now the moch here, Rashi says, no tenet moch le'achar be'ila, this is after the tashmish, sho'evet azera, it's something, it's like sponge-like, it's absorbent, and it absorbs the seed. And uh, there's actually a machlokis, we when we discussed this in Yevamus Yud Beis, Amid Beis, it came up, Gimel Misham Shiz Bemoch, the Meberis, Menik, and Ketana, okay, it also comes up on Daf Kuf in Yevamus, when we discussed it there, it's a machlokis Rashi Taisvis. And Rashi says it's inserted after because there's a concern of hashachas, hashachas, you know, wasting seed. Okay. And, uh, and it's a machlokis if that applies to women as well. Taisos brings two opinions. One that, yeah, it was after like Rashi, but one that the moch is inserted before. So even though the zera is going to go onto the moch and be absorbed before it reaches the, the cervix, 
there is a daya in Tosfos that allows that type of birth control. So it's, a, it's an interesting uh, machlokis about what is this moch and how is it used and when is it used among the Rishonim. So good. So Rabbi Yossi says, Isha, who's, who's involved in this, whether she's about to convert and she's in Vegas or she's captured by the pagans and they're taking advantage, she's going to try to use birth control. Shaloti taber. She doesn't want to get pregnant from these guys. Bishlam So fine for a converted woman who's planning to convert soon. She's intending to convert. She's in classes. She's going to be careful not to become pregnant. Shavuyanami. A captured girl, also a Jewish girl, also she doesn't know where these goyim are going to bring her. Maybe they're going to bring her to a place with Jews and she'll be redeemed by the local Jewish community and marry a local Jewish man there, God willing. So she doesn't want to become pregnant from these uh, these these pagan uh, bandits. Shivchanami, a maidservant also, the Shamami Pimara, she hears from her, her masters that they're going to free her in the near future so she's careful to use birth control. But a shivcha who goes free suddenly because of a tooth or an eye, what are you going to say? Now, the, the din of the Torah is if a, if a master is hitting his servant, which, okay, it's nebuch, it's nebuch, it did happen. But in Jewish tradition, if he causes a permanent injury, disfiguration, loss of even a tooth or an eye, any permanent injury, even the tip of a pinky, anything, even tip of an earlobe, they go free. They go free. It's not like the, the servitude we see in Tanakh and in Jewish history, it, you know, it's a very difficult thing, but it's not the same thing that they had in the South, in the antebellum South, you know, it, it, before the Civil War. It's not the same thing. It's, it's not something we understand in modern times. It's very different from our understanding of human rights and human dignity. But again, if the, if, the, if the slave was injured in this way, they would free immediately as compensation. They were also given financial compensation for this injury. So in that case, she wasn't really using birth control because she didn't know she was going to get her tooth knocked out and she would go free immediately. And if you tell me something happens in Mamela, something that happens sort of by itself, Rabbi Yossi doesn't apply his din and he would have her wait three months. Hari Anusa Mafuta. Now you should know the Masursa Shas takes out Mafuta uh, and Dimamela, that those sort of happen by themselves. Now Anusa, we understand the woman wasn't planning to get Ma'anis, God forbid. That's the that's the rapist's fault. But the Mafuta, okay, uh, the Mafuta, maybe it's an ongoing relationship and she was kind of planning it, so she would have had the chance. Maybe that's why Masursa Shas takes it out. Maybe it was Amidat uh, Laila Achat, as they call it. So it could have been like a one time thing. Dimamela. So, uh, so those happen happen sort of suddenly. Vatanya Anusa Mefuta Tzrichin Amtin Gimel Chadashin De Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Yehuda requires them to wait three months before getting married. Rabbi Yosi Matilaras and Asamiyad Rabbi Yosi lets them get married immediately. So it's kind of surprising. So so too with the Shen Va'ayin a Shifra goes free because she lost a tooth. Ela Amar Rabba Kesav Rabbi Yosi Isha Mezana Why? Because Isha Mezana if she's involved in relations Mit Hafechet she will flip over Kadesh Lotet Haber so she will not become pregnant. So that's sort of a chiddush. So Rashi here says, um, It's some sort of yoga maneuver, jumping maneuver, so the zera will flow out of her prose door and not gather into the cervix. Because you could do it after the fact. It's kind of like the morning after pill, but it's like some sort of physical jumping or hopping or some sort of yoga maneuver. Kulanosis candy. He says, they all do this. It's interesting, Rashi. All the girls do this because it's really easy to do. The Gemara in Yavamus Lamed Hay, Yavamus 35, they also mention the same, the same machlokas or Biosi or Yehuda. And Rashi over there says, it's Kal. He says, it's easy to do. Now, apparently, this has fallen out of 
I, I don't think they teach this in college classes anymore. I think it's fallen out of the, the, the common knowledge. So if anyone's like looked into this and discovered how to do it, uh, don't tell the girls in Beisako, but let me know. Cause I'm, I'm very curious about like how this was actually done, you know, physiologically speaking, but uh, the Rashi apparently says it's easy to do. And they all do this if it comes up where they're involved in a sudden bia and they didn't prepare a moch for birth control. They do this this morning after. It's not really morning after. It's immediately after kind of maneuvering. Ve'idach and Rabbi Yehuda, who makes them wait, Chayshina, and he's worried, Shlo nitchafacha yofa yofa. Maybe they're not, they're not doing this maneuver very well to get the zera out before they become pregnant. So therefore, he does make them wait three months, even though it was common for women 2,000 years ago to know how to do this maneuver to reduce the incidence of pregnancy. Now, Lamanashem, why is this girl trying not to become pregnant? It's a very interesting psychological insight that our sages have. She's been captured by pagans. And she's hoping, God willing, they take her to a Jewish city, they take her to the Harda, somewhere with Jews, with money, and the Jews will, will redeem her. They'll buy her back. The Gioretz, who she's among the Akum now, but she's going to become Jewish. So think of it, like right now she's among people who, not the best Shaduchim. She doesn't want to become pregnant from the guys she's around now. They're criminals or they're, they're idolaters. She wants to become Jewish. And, you know, Baruch Hashem, there's doctors, there's lawyers, there's guys who go to Dafyomi, there's guys with, you know, who are great guys. She'd rather marry and become pregnant from one of those guys. If she shows up pregnant already, it's going to hurt her chances. So she's planning ahead. Even though she, right now she's in a compromised situation, she's planning ahead to when she's going to have you know, better, better options, better choices. And this is, this is, uh, this is how Hashem programmed women that they're looking for the best option. So it's, you know, it, it's not a pushit thing with Shaduchim, but really when you're giving Eitzah to young men, you know, young men, join the Dafyomi, you know, get in shape, get a nice wardrobe, make yourself a good option. And then you, you become more attractive. Like there's always room for improvement. There's room for improvement for all of us. Baruch Hashem, we're already in the Daf Yomi, but eh, there's also Mishnah Yomi. Baruch Hashem, there's a lot going on. So thank God. So this is, this is how Hashem, you know, programmed the Teva between men and women. Hashem makes the plans here. And Baruch Hashem, yeah. And in Yavam Salam and Hey, they also say, Lahavkin ben Zerah Kodesh, Zerah Kedusha. So like oh, women want a good Shidduch. They want to be, you know, wait to become pregnant from a better option. And Chazal knew about that and take that into account with the Halacha. But so the end of the Mishnah brought up the source for the concept of Kimle Bedurabamine, that we give them the worst punishment, not two punishments. Uh, and the, the, Mishnah, the Gemara cites here, Shnemar Veloye Ason Anosh Yanesh. That's the Pasuk where two men are fighting and the pregnant wife of one of them tries to intervene and stop, and they're really fighting to the death. And then she gets shoved aside. If she dies, there's a death penalty for the shover. But if she loses the fetus, then there's monetary damages, but not a death penalty. Rabbi Silber actually mentioned this on Shavuos. Now, Shavuos sound, feels like a lifetime ago, but he was giving an amazing drosha about abortion. And it shows this pasuk, it shows that the loss of a fetus, I, I'm not passing, I'm just saying what Rabbi Silber said months ago. The loss of a fetus is not capital punishment, but it does have value, that even an unborn life has a value. He was saying, you know, we don't, we don't paskin like the Catholics or the other side, but we follow halakha. You know, that's, that's what we do. So this is a source for Kimle, but the Rabbi Minei, that uh, we make him pay, we don't make him uh, execute. Ha-mehacha the Mar says, is that the source? Mechasam nafka, there's another source. Kedei rishasai, we punish someone according to his evil. Mishum rishaachas atamachaivo, you punish him for one Risha, Rish Ato is a singular, one Resha, one evil. Um, but not for two evils, not for two sins. 
So Gemara explains why we need both of these. Hada b'misa umamon. So one of them is with death and money. So if he's high up to death, we don't make him pay money. The other one is lashes. I mean, they get lashes. And if they get lashes, they don't pay money. We need both sources. If we said death versus money. By death, we're going to make him lose his soul. So by Malkus and Mammon, he doesn't lose his soul. So maybe we shouldn't apply Kimabi And since he's only getting whipped, not losing his soul, we'll make him pay money also. Ishmael and Malkus and Mammon, if we only taught us about Malkus and Mammon, by Kimabi Ramamene, his sin wasn't so bad to be worthy of the death penalty. But if he is Chai of Misa in Bezden, he did something really bad. The uh, Chamri story that is his sin is very bad. A malo, we shouldn't apply him to the and he should not only be executed but pay money. So tzricha. So we really do need both psukim. Rabbi Meir, Amar Loke Mishalem. Rabbi Meir holds a person could get lashes and pay money. Tartilamani, why do you psuk two psukim? Hada b'misu mamo, turning over to Ahmed Beis Rabosai. One is by death and money. Vahada b'misu mokus. The other one is by combining death. And lashes. Tzricha, we need both psukim. Diyashmin and misu mamon. If we only excluded combining a death penalty and paying financial restitution, mishum da chada begufe chada bemamone. One is with his body and one is with his wallet. So maybe we should allow kimli rabamne and we pay both. A law of dinan. So we should, we, maybe we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't uh, make him pay both. Uh, punish him with both. Aval bemisu malkus. But if he has a death penalty and lashes, uh, they're both on his body. Uh, maybe so we'll start off with the lashes and then we'll move on to the skila. It'll be a, it'll be a party. Yeah. So maybe because the target of the punishment is his body. So it's like one long Misa. If we start lashing him and then we go ahead and finish him off with his, uh, Misa Zbezdin, his execution by the court. So we need both Psukim to exclude that. If we had a Pesuk by Misa and Malkus, by lashing and death, to Tartib they're both on his body. We shouldn't do both on one target of punishment. Of all Misa, Mamun, but death and money. One is on his body and one is on his pocketbook. So maybe we should punish him like that with both. So so even Rabbi Meir needs both psuki, even though he holds a person can get lashed and pay money. So then they ask, there's another Pasuk, you should not take a bribe for the soul of a murderer. Why do we have this Pasuk? Obviously, if he's Chayiv Misa, he shouldn't be able to bribe his way out of that. Because the Torah said, Don't weigh out money, Minei, from him, to make him uh, not have to be executed. You can understand, maybe a guy is very, very rich, and he, he murders someone, he's going to try to be bribing, and you know, say, listen, I will I have a billion dollars, I'm going to pay a million dollars to the, to, the, to the widow, and a million dollars to the orphan, and I'm going to pay a million dollars to the community, and maybe it would be tempting to let him off the hook and not execute him. No, the Torah requires that we execute the murderer, even if he would be setting up trust funds for the, the children of all his victims. We don't take a bribe to allow him to flee to a city of refuge. So this is by a mistaken, an accidental or negligent uh, death where he flees to an ear miklot. So Lamali, why do we not let him bribe himself into ear miklot if he's negligent, uh, negligent homicide? We don't weigh out money from him. A tiftarim in a golos to say is chayiv 
He's putter from Gullis. We can understand also if a man lives in in Baltimore and he owns a factory and he's uh, you know employing a thousand people and if we send him to Gullis, the factory has to close down and with the whole community will lose out. It would be very tempting to say, listen, you stay in the town and you keep running your factory and you donate all your profits to the to the uh, widow of the man you accidentally killed. You know, he fell into the the meat packing machine, God forbid, or something like that through the negligence of the owner. So keep running your factory and you're going to pay for your damages and you're going to stay here. No. He he has to go to Golutz because Torah requires Golus as his kapara. Trekwai Lamali, why do you both psukim? One is if he killed by mistake, that's the Golut, and one is if he killed on purpose. Tricha, we need both. If we only heard about someone who killed on purpose, that you can't take a bribe from him to avoid uh, execution. Bishum his his uh, crime is horrible. His crime is that of murder. You should know it's a very interesting thing. Remember, by the Egel Hazahav, Aharon Cohen helped them make the Egel Hazahav, sort of indirectly. He was Vayivin uh, Mizbeach for the Egel Hazahav. And Rashi there explains Vayivin Mizbeach, Vayavin Mizevach, that Aharon Cohen's intention was he understood, he had Havana, he was Yavin Mizevach from Chur, who was murdered when Chur stood up to the mob. And it started with the Eruv Rav. The Eruv Rav were still into Vodazara, according to Rashi. They started it, and they got the Jews on board. And this was this mob of Erevrav killed Hor when he stood up and said, no, we're not going to do Egel. We're going to do a Vodazara. Moshe's coming back. Don't worry. We're not going to do a Vodazara. So it's an amazing thing because a Vodazara, along with Arias and Shvichas Damim, are the big three that a Jew is required to give his life Hashem to avoid a Vodazara and Arayot, forbidden relationships, and murder. And here, Aaron Cohen is saying, well, they murdered Chur. I'm going to help them do a Vodazara so they don't murder me. So it's really interesting. Those are both in the big three. But it seems that, according to Aaron Cohen, that murder is worse than a Vodazara. And he's not wrong. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm not saying do a Vodazara. I'm not saying do murder or a Vodazara. I'm saying in Aaron Cohen's situation, he's saying if, they do a, if the Jews murder me, they're going to have murdered the Cohen Godel you know, and it's, there's no, not going to be a kapara. They can't get the Kohen Gadol back. It's going to be horrible. They're now going to be able to do tshuva. There's going to be no Aaron or Cohen. It's going to be terrible. But if they do a Vodazara, they can still do tshuva. There's no, you know, it's, it's, I'm not saying Vodazara is, is a victimless crime, but he'd still be alive to help them do tshuva. But if he stood up, stood up to the mob and they murdered him, he would no longer be alive to help them do tshuva. So this was the calculus. You understand the difficult situation Aaron or Cohen was in. So you see that Hamer Isure, that murder is like the worst of all possible crimes, even worse in a sense than a Vodazara, even though we don't do a Vodazara either. But we understand the calculus of Aharon Cohen when we see these words that the murder is Hamir Isura. Aval Shogeg, the man who killed by accident. And remember in Meseches Makos, second pair of Makos, we go through, you know, there are accidents that are negligent, there are accidents that are gross negligence, to use the legal terminology, you know, it was foreseeable fault or unforeseeable, it was derech yirida, derech so that's the second paragraph of Makos, you review that as your homework. So there it's shogeg, it's really, it's negligent, or it's a mistake, or it's an accident, he didn't know the guy was there when he threw the axe, things like this. Mm-hmm. It's bad, but it's not like murder. Maybe we shouldn't uh, exclude him from taking a bribe. Maybe we should allow him to stay in Baltimore, run his factory, and pay a million dollars as restitution and not go to Golis. So, if we heard only by Shogeg, by the case of Golis, 
Mishum Deleke Ibn Neshama. We're not going to kill the the killer himself. We're not going to execute him. We're merely going to send him to Golis of Almezid, a murderer uh, on purpose, to Eka Ibn Neshama. Well, so we, we lost one life. We're going to end another life. That would be inappropriate. Maybe we would let, let him make financial restitution. So maybe not. Maybe we would allow him to bribe. So we need both psukim. <clears throat> another pasuk where we explain why it's needed. And the land will not be cleansed only with of blood, the blood of a murder victim uh, that was spilled on it, only with the blood of the spiller. Uh, Lamali, why do you need this pasuk? This is a pasuk by Egla Arufa. Remember, they find the victim of a murder, and they don't know where which city it's from. They don't know who killed him. They bring the Egla Arufa. They bring this this uh, cow and they decapitate it. The Egel Nason, Aeson, sorry, but Nachol Aeson, to be a kapara. Now you might have thought that that gets the guy off the hook, but no. So how do you know if they did this ceremony, they washed their hands of the blood, they decapitated the, the, the eggle there, and then you find the murderer, you find the guy who did it. So he's not putter. He's not putter. You might have thought we did the ceremony, we've cleansed the land of the spilled blood. You might have thought he's putter. No. So uh, we have another Pasuk. You have to be remove adamanoki mikibecha. So sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So no, he's not potter because we have the pasuk that you have to punish the murderer, even though you've done egla arufa and you've done this ceremony to cleanse the doubtful murder. You still have to punish the actual murderer when you find him. It's interesting because. Just reading the Torah, just reading the Chumash, it sounds like there's a lot of bloodshed going on. But again, in Makos, we learned that uh, how often would the Sanhedrin do an execution? I heard a 70, I heard a 7 maybe. You're both right, because the Mishnah says that a Beisdin, a Sanhedrin that executed a criminal every 7 years, was called bloodthirsty and inappropriate, and some say every 70 years. Because there are a lot of um, technicalities before you find someone guilty of capital punishment in Halakha, so it's, you know, I'm not saying Judaism is against capital punishment, but it was extremely, extremely rare that it actually happens, Lamasse. So it's not quite like capital punishment in the modern, you know, secular, quote unquote, justice system. It's really not the same thing. In Jewish courts, there's no DNA evidence, no hearsay, no entrapments, no plea bargains. You know, it's all Kedas Kedin, to Adim, no mistakes, Drisha Vakakira, very, very strict rules for questioning to make sure that what we think happened really happened. So really... If a capital punishment occurs in halacha, it's, it's, it's a very serious thing. The judges fast before they hand down the sentence. It's very serious, and we know it's, it's true. Okay, good. So moving on to the next Pesach. Vetatavar adamanaki, bikirbecha, lamali. Why do you need the Pesach? You will uh, clean up the, the innocent blood from among you. Mibayile, the Kitzhani, we need this like the Baraisa. Minayin, limimotin besayif. How do you know those executed with the sword? Shumanit savar, that you put the sword in the neck to do the execution. This pasuk is by Egla Arufa. We have a comparison, a hekesh, between Egla Arufa and murderers. And murderers who are convicted by Sanhedrin are executed with the sword. Just like Egla Arufa gets killed through the neck. So murderers who get saif, the sword is execution, the sword goes in their neck. So too, but Egla Rufa, we use an axe, a cleaver, and we do it on the back of the neck. 
Afkan Bekovitz, so too, a murderer, maybe we should use an axe on the back of the neck. Now, it's interesting because in medieval Europe, this was a royal execution was done with an axe to the back of the neck. So it seems to me that what was happening was the ancient kings and queens of medieval Europe, I'm not talking about the Jewish ones, I'm talking about the Christian ones, it seems like they were reading about Egla Rufa in the Bible, but they did not go to Dafyomi Rabosai. So they did not understand that it's Saif in the front of the neck, it's not the axe in the back of the neck. That's why in Europe they're executing people with an axe in the back of the neck. They didn't learn the Gemara. So Baruch Hashem, we learn the Gemara, we know how to execute convicted murderers with swords. Good. Amar Rav Nachman, Amar Rav Ravua, why don't we use an axe to the back of the neck? Amar Kra, so the Torah tells us why we don't execute a murderer with an axe in the back of the neck, and so we use a sword in the front of the neck. Why? Vehavta lorecha kamocha. Love your fellow man as yourself. Borerlo misayafa. Give him a gishmak death. Give him a good death that's instantaneous and painless to the best of our ability. We don't want him to suffer in death. We don't want it to be drawn out. We don't want it to be gory. We want it to be immediate. And therefore, the front of the neck, Rashi says, that's where the, the trachea and the esophagus are. That's where we do shechita. Shechita is a painless... Now, there's a lot of criticism about shechita, but Lamasse, what it does physiologically is it creates an a instantaneous drop in blood pressure to the, the vessels that, that fuel the brain. So after they do shechita on an animal, it can't feel anything because there's no blood pressure in the brain. That's what it does physiologically. So too, by a murderer, we have to give him saif. The Torah requires we give him saif, we give him the sword with, for execution. So we do it on the front of the neck where those important, those vridinar and the and the uh, kan and the veshet. So he'll die instantly without too much trauma. The Tosfos here points out, you know, Tosfos here says, um, uh, he says, a dagger in the heart, that's also a nice death. It's kind of a shocking Taisvas. He says, but we compare it to Egla Rufa, so we know it's a sword in the, so we know it's by the neck, not a dagger in the heart. And by Haftorecha teaches us that it has to be the front where the Vridinar, so we'll have an instantaneous death. This is shocking. Haftorecha means we kill him nicely. The Shita Mikobetsis brings an explanation. So the Torah says, L're'echa. It could have said, Achicha, Chavercha, L're'echa is a filu ra shebecha. Even the evil one with you, Ahavta. You even have to love someone who has done evil. And uh, we also know when someone's executed, it's a kapara. If they're executed by Sanhedrin, it's a kapara. We also know that the Sanhedrin would require them to do tshuva before the execution. The judges would also be misvada with him. You know, they'd all confess their, their sins, so he would be innocent. You know, I mean, he's not innocent, but he's, he's, he's a Balchuva when he goes for execution. Slaman Hashem, if he's a Balchuva and we love him, why are we executing him? This is what the Torah requires. And it's, it's a deep yesod in love. The means you give him a good execution. There's a big mistake that's made in mainstream society. Baruch Hashem, we live in a fanatical religious subculture and we know the truth because we learn the Gemara. But in mainstream society, they say love is blind. And their notion of love is this like Disney Hallmark wishy-washy, like, oh, love is about giving. Love is putting people up on a pedestal and they're perfect. That's not love. That's infatuation. That's, that's crazy. Uh, by, by the way, infatuation, there was a famous Gemara in Moet Katan, uh, 18b, about the guy who got infatuated and prayed for a certain girl, and then he got her and he wished he would die. So I do want to refer you, we don't have time now, but I want to refer you to uh, I taught DAF 19, but you know how it is with the DAF. You end on Ahmed Bey somewhere and you get to go over Ahmed Bey a little bit. So I taught Moed Katan 19, and it's up on, I refer you to rabbisilber.com, 
Moed Katan 19, and I taught that daf, and I talked about Moed Katan 18, about the guy who prayed for a specific girl because he was infatuated with her. We talked about the Rambam and free will, so we'll refer you. It was, it was January 31st of this year. It feels like a lifetime ago, Baruch Hashem. But Moed Katan 19, go look it up. That's your homework on rabbisilver.com. And we talk all about free will and, uh, and true love and zivug. But anyway, it's a mistake to say love is blind. So both say, who loves you the most in the world? Hashem, good. Which person loves you most in the world? Who? Also good. Which other person loves you most in the world? Someone besides Sayyid, please. Yourself? No. Your, who? Your wife? Good. Are your parents also? Your wife and your parents love you more than anyone in the world. Who criticizes you the most in the world? Your wife and your parents, Rabosai. Because love is not blind. Love is a magnifying glass. Okay? Infatuation is blind. Obsession is blind. When you love someone, you see the positives and the negatives. You see both sides of them. Love is not blind. So this criminal, we love him. He's a Jew. He's our brother. We love him, but he overstepped the boundaries. He has his faults, and we, he has to be punished. The Torah requires that he be punished. Nothing left to do besides execute him. Love is not about just, oh, it's love, it's sweet, it's great. That's not what love is. Love is also about setting boundaries. We love our kids. We don't let them stay up past midnight eating marshmallows. Okay? That's, we have to set boundaries. The Torah requires us, even though we love all of our brothers, we have to have expectations and boundaries and punishments when people overstep the boundaries for the good of society. So this is Vehaftal Recha Kamocha. There's another proof from, we don't have time, but from uh, Yitzhak and Rivka, that Yitzhak marries Rivka, brings her into Sarah's tent, sees all these wonderful signs, cloud of Shechina, and then he loves her. The Pesach says, then he loves her. Why? Because he's looked into it. He's seen her positive attributes. So one last thing by Rosh Hashiva, that's all he taught me. What's the definition of love? Love is the emotional pleasure of seeing the virtues of another person and identifying them with those virtues. When you see the good in someone, specific things, I see all of you waking up early, giving of your sleep and your time with your zrizas to come and learn Torah. I love all of you. So it's a lesson for all of us. We see the good in other people. We find things to love about our fellow Jew.